Uh, lovely sunny day, isn't it? Um, I want to talk to you about putting first things first. Have you heard the saying, uh, first things first? Uh, we say it about life, don't we? We, uh, we, we talk about something, we, we may have to make a decision. So we, we go, as we make that decision, we say, well, let's put the first things first. Let's, uh, let's sort out the foundations and then we'll move from there. We say that, don't we? I have to say it to a lot of my clients because when, when I talk to them about building an extension for them, they're always interested in what the inside is going to look like. And I have to say, look, first things first, let's sort out what's in the ground and then we'll come from there. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at first things first. We're going to look at them because we, um, we quite quickly talk about uh, Jesus and his death and his resurrection, don't we? And yet... There's one thing that comes that we need to understand before that. And if we read uh, a passage in Philippians in chapter 2, it's a well-known uh, passage, Philippians chapter 2. We quote it quite a lot. Uh, as soon as I start reading it, you'll know it. It says, Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. You know that passage, don't you? A lot of you know that passage well. The first thing that comes out there, though, is... Christ Jesus, who being the very nature God. And this morning we're going to look at that, because that is the first thing that we need to understand. When we come to church, when we come and we testify in who we believe, we need to understand that the first thing is that Jesus being the very nature God. And that's what this passage is about. And we're going to, So we're going to look at the first thing first today. And... Uh, we're following on in our series that we've had a break from, from John. Uh, and we're back in John now, and we're chapter 5. And uh, we're stepping in just after the healing that Jesus does on the Sabbath day at Bethesda's pool. Uh, Bethsaida pool, however you say it. Um, and uh, here, we're, we're stepping in after that. So Jesus has just healed a, a paralyzed man, and it's the Sabbath day. And the, the religious leaders don't like it. Because he's healed on a Sabbath, but not only has he healed on Sabbath, he's told a man to take up his mat and carry it and work, supposedly, on a Sabbath as well. And it's into that that we step into this uh, situation. But before we do that, what I'd like you to do this morning, because this passage, I think, is a very fundamental passage to what we believe uh, here as a church, what we believe uh, about Jesus Christ. So what I'm going to ask you to do, is just in this next few seconds... Uh, less than a minute, just to clear your mind, clear your heart. I want you to ask, Holy Spirit, reveal to me Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, reveal to me my heart. As we look at this passage, let's do that together. Heavenly Father, we pray for your Spirit, that you would, Holy Spirit, you would, you would reveal Christ Jesus. That you would show us the truth of who he is. And in doing so, you reveal to us our hearts and the state of them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, we're in uh, chapter 5, verse 16, uh, through to the end of the chapter. It's, it's one big chunk, and I apologise now if I take an hour. Okay? I've said I've warned you. It's, uh, it's a big chunk. But, uh, no, well, let's, let's get going. So, so we have... Um, have Jesus. He's, uh, this, the scene that is set here uh, is, um, on my, in my Bible it says the authority of the Son. 
And then the second section, section is testimonies about Jesus. But what I want to set is the scene here. The scene is that of a court case. The scene is that of a court case as we look at this passage. You see, uh, the, the religious rulers and leaders are setting out their accusations about Jesus. To, to Jesus. He, he's healed on the Sabbath. He's worked on the Sabbath. And to them, that is a stonable offence. And then, as we read verses 16 and 17, let's read it. So, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defence, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work. To this very day, I, am work, I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. So they're coming at him now with two charges. One is working on the Sabbath and the other is blasphemy. Uh, Both guilty of death. And that is the charge that's coming against them. And Jesus makes his defense here. And this is in the first section. And then in the second section, he calls his witnesses to this court case. Um, They're not actually in court. They're just talking, but it's set out in that way. So let's look at it. So what is uh, Jesus' defense? He says, in his defense, Jesus says, my father is always at work, and to this very day, I too am working. What is the work that he's setting out? What is he saying? He's saying, look, that my father, I, I am the son of God. He's saying this quite deliberately. But he's also saying something else deliberately. He's saying, look, my father is at work. He's always at work. Even on a Sabbath day, he's at work. And I, too, am doing this work. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm sure this sprung up in their mind, and might have sprung up in yours. You think, well, actually, hang on a minute, it's the Sabbath day, that's the day of rest. And we know that that there was uh, six days of creation and one day of rest. So therefore, surely God's resting, because it's the Sabbath day. And therefore, shouldn't we... So how is Jesus saying he is working? And how is he saying, I'm allowed to work because my father is working? Well, the work here, you see, is after the fall. The the creation happened and, and God rested and he created the Sabbath day so that man might rest in God. And then the fall happens and the relationship between God and man is broken. And ever since then, God has been at work creating, let me put it, let me read what I've written so that it comes out right, his work of redemption, redemptive restoration into a relationship with him. He's working to restore the relationship between his creation and the creator. That is the work that he's at. He is working at the redemptive restoration of a relationship with him. So he is continually at work. And we see Jesus, as he heals this paralyzed man, he is doing exactly that, isn't he? He's restoring that relationship that has been broken by sin. And he's, he's healing the man. And he says to the man as well, he says, sin no more. He's doing what the Father has set out to do. So Jesus sets out his, his defense He's doing the very work, redeeming uh, his people that God is doing. And then he carries on. 
And as we see in verse 19, we see there Jesus gives them his, this answer. And it says, very truly, I tell you. In fact, in this passage, we have three. Very truly, I tell you. And if there are three repetitive statements, we know that that has a divine importance for us to listen to. And as we read through these uh, very truly I tell you's, each time we see a very truly I tell you, the importance of what is being said gets bigger. It escalates. What, what the, the implication of what Jesus says has a more um, importance to us as his hearers each time. So we're going to go through each three of them, and then we're going to go on to the second bit as well, that uh, passage as well. So bear with me. But let's see what he says then. He says, Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can, own, can do only what he sees his father doing, because what his father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. Now, this is not a passage where Jesus is saying that actually I am, the son, I am God's son, but I can't do anything that my, I have to just do as I'm told. Okay, let's get that clear. That this isn't a passage telling us that Jesus is uh, doing everything he's told because he has no choice. This is a passage that is telling us about the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. It is telling us about how he and his father work together as one because of the love that they share with each other. The bonds of love keeps them step by uh, keeps them step by step with each other. Um, the best illustration I could come up with for this is um, thanks to Elijah, he's done a little video for me. Oh, I've gone backwards. So let's go away. Oh, we've even got sound. Look. We have a set of cogs. You see, Jesus and the Father are step by step together. They, they are in synchronized, synchronized together. You see, the, the best illustration I could come with is this one. The Father there is the motor on it, and it, it's turning. Um, and the thing that joins the Father and the Son is the love, but, but the Son is doing exactly the same speed and exactly the same thing as the Father. It's the best illustration I could come up with, so sorry if it's not very good. But do you see that Jesus is saying that we are, we are so closely joined together. We are so knitted together. Because of the love that we share with one another, that I can only do what he says and what he does because we are one. Because I am equal to my Father. Well, you can imagine the religious rulers' faces as this is happening, can't you? You're probably getting redder and redder and angrier and angrier at this. What are they class as blasphemy? But Jesus says, no, hang on a minute. I can only do what my Father does because we are so, so closely knitted together in a purpose. My purpose here is to bring about the same thing that God the Father wants and the redemptive restoration of relationship between us. You see, in verses 17 and 19, we see that. Uh, that uh, they are so knitted together in purpose. But there are also, we carry, Jesus carries on, he says, look, we're not, just, we're not just together in our purpose, but we're together in our power. Look at verse 21. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, 
Even so, the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Jesus is saying, look, I am so equal with God, the giver of life, that I have life and I can give it to whoever I please. Verse 26 as well. He repeats it again. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. You see, Jesus is so equal with God that he has one purpose with God and he has the same power as God. There is no greater power than to be able to raise the dead to life, is there? And Jesus has that power within him. Now this is a big statement to make at this point in, the John, in John's Gospel. Because at this point, Jesus has not raised anyone from the dead. And to say this to the religious leaders is another thing that's just going to make them flare up with anger. Who do you say you are? Who, how can you say these things? But did, just in case you missed it. Verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, he will show him him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. It's coming. We know actually later on in in the book of John that Lazarus is raised from the grave by the words of Jesus. And we know, because we're the other side of the cross, we know that Jesus has so much life inside himself that the grave could not contain him. And he raised three days later. This passage is so important for us to understand that first things first, that Jesus Christ has a purpose, the same purpose of God. He has the power, the power to raise the dead to life. He has life in himself, but also he has, he is one with God in judgment. Verse 22. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son. What a statement to make, isn't it? What a statement to make. You're either who you say you are or you're in need of going to a hospital. And Jesus is exactly as he says he is. So so verse 22 there, yeah. Moreover, the father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the son. And then in verse 30, we see this as well. By myself, I can do nothing I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. See, they are so united in the love bond that they share, that everything, even the judgment, is equal. Jesus is equal to God in purpose, power, and judgment. And then he is equal in honour, verse 23. Uh, this, okay, I'll read from 22. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honour the Son, just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son, does not honour the Father, who sent him. You see, they are so intertwined, like Father, like Son, that actually, if you do not honour the Son, you do not honour the Father. And if you do not honour the Father, you do not honour the Son. They're so intertwined. And yet, and they're so 
And God has given over the judgment to his son so that he is honoured in just the same way as the father is. You see, for those who are, for the religious leaders of the time, they would have, un, they would have really been slapped in the face by this saying, by Jesus. Because their understanding of God is the Old Testament, and God is the only one that can give life. He's the one who breathes life into the bones uh, in the valley and brings them back into existence. He's the one who gives life to all creation. And yet Jesus says, look, I have that power in me. I have the power to bring life. But not only that, I have the power to bring judgment on you as well. And if you don't see that in me, you do not see the Father. This is what he's saying. Verse 27 as well. Uh, I seem to have had the last three, I think, sermons that I've, I've preached. I've had to go back to this same passage every time. Uh, for Verse uh, 27 says, And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. This is the passage that I keep going back to, and it is such a wonderful one. Daniel chapter uh, 7 and uh, verse 13. Because in the New Testament, Jesus calls himself this, the Son of Man quite often. He says he is the son of man. And this is a reference to Daniel and his prophecy in the book of Daniel and chapter 7 and verse 13. I'll read it to you. It says this. It says, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples from every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus is saying, that is me. That is me. I am so equal with God. I have been given his authority and he has given me his kingdom. Very truly I tell you, I am equal with God. He's saying, I am. And this is the first things first I say that we need to understand. As we looked at that Philippians passage, and we say, uh, as we quote it quite often, being in the very nature God. If you do not understand the fact that Jesus is God himself, you cannot understand what he has done on the cross for us. You cannot understand any of the redemption story that comes through this word. It is so important for us to hear. See, Jesus is one with the Father in his purpose, in his power, in his judgment, and his honour. And then he says another, very, very truly I tell you. So it's more this the importance becomes all the more. And I want you to listen. What does he say? He says, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but crosses over from death to life. 
The importance of understanding who Jesus is, that he is equal with God, is because actually it holds the key to our salvation. It holds the key to eternal life. Because we have heard that, uh, that just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Do you hear that? To whom he is pleased to give it. Whom is he pleased to give it? Well, he answers that question for us in this verse. In verse 24, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Jesus has the power to give life and he chooses to give it to whoever will heed his word. Because his word is the very word of God himself. He is pleased to give those who hear him, life. See, Jesus in this statement is declaring that he has the, ma- the power to make you right with God. He has the power to make you right with God, to complete the restoration work that God is undertaking. This is a massive statement. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Let's talk about that belief for a minute. Now, there are, we're going to deal with it again in a, minute, in a little while with the rest of the passage. But we think if we read the word of God and we say, yeah, we, I, I believe in God. There's lots of people who say, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, aren't there? But what Jesus is saying here, whoever believes in me and the one who sent me is saying that not just, not just go, oh yeah, yeah, I believe, and then walk off and go do whatever you like and whenever you like, live how you like, just do whatever you want. He's saying, no, believe means to put your trust in, to unconditionally follow, to give everything over to and trust wholeheartedly in. Jesus is saying, look, I am God. I am equal with God. I am his son. You need to put your trust in me and in me alone. And you need to trust wholeheartedly, unconditionally. Don't hold back. I am worth more than ever you could ever imagine. I have more power in my little finger than anyone you will ever meet. And I have the power to save your life. So trust in me. It's not a, not a fancy little, oh yeah, I believe. It's really, I believe, I lay my life down before Christ because he is the only one that can give it back to me. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have to believe in God the Father because they are one. And he will give you life. You will not be judged, but you will cross over from death and life. That is a wonderful passage there, being crossed over. Uh, the best way I can imagine it is a border between death and life. We, we, we know how we cross over borders from countries. We can go from here to Scotland and we cross over the border, don't we? We go from here to Wales, we cross over, another, we cross over the border. And we, we, we see the border sign as we go past on the road and it says you've just stepped into Wales. And the rules of Wales apply. You can go over, you can fly, and you can go cross borders. We know what it means to cross a border. 
Do you know what it means to cross over the border of death to life? Jesus says, if you believe in me, you don't belong to that nation of death. You belong to my kingdom of life. And it gets even more intense because he says, very truly I tell you again, in verse 25, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and all those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. The importance of this passage gets even deeper and it hits home even harder for us, or it should do. He says, a time is coming and has now come. When we think of death to life, we think, well, actually just a physical raising from the dead, don't we, a lot of the time. We think of going into the grave and someone being raised out of the grave. That's death to life. But that's not the death to life that Jesus is talking about at the moment. He's going to get to that. The death to life is that Jesus is saying, look, for those who do not believe in the Son in believing me, you are dead to God. Those of you who do not believe in me sent by God the Father, You are dead to God. You are judged. You are condemned. But if you believe in me, then I give you the keys to the kingdom. You can walk over that border. But notice he says, the time has now come. This isn't a question of, oh, I'll I'll choose you later. This is a now The time has now come. We know what Christ has done on the cross. We live in the other side of the cross and we are so blessed for it. The people who are hearing this from the direct from the mouth of God at the time, or at the mouth of Jesus at the time, they didn't understand this fully. But he was saying, put your trust in me and in me alone. Now. Because I can give you life. And here's the big warning. Verse 28. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done, e- done what is good will rise to life. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. My judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. This bit is definitely talking about physical death. Okay? The other very truly, the one before this was talking about our spiritual death before God, because if we do not accept Jesus Christ, we do not accept God himself. Here he's talking about a time when when the Son of Man will come and he will judge. He will judge because the Father has given him the right to judge. And at that time the dead will be raised from their graves. They will come out and those who have done good will rise to life. And those who have done evil will be raised to be condemned. Let's be clear here. The good is not acts of good deeds in helping a lady cross the road being a good person I've been a good person I'm sure I'm going to go to heaven no the good here is the good of being able to hear and take on board what Jesus Christ the son of God Christ himself God himself 
as you take that on board and you listen to him. That is the good. Those who have died and who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for their forgiveness, for their redemption, for their relationship restoration with God, they will raise, be risen to life. They will be risen to life. But here's the warning. For those of you that do not trust in Christ Jesus or, do, or are unsure of whether you should put your trust in him, if you do not, there is a resurrection for you as well. For those who do not trust in Jesus, there's a resurrection of condemnation, of judgment. Those who put their faith in Jesus will not be judged. They will just raise to life and they will be crowned in glory. Because Jesus, who gives life, has promised it. But for those who do not trust in Jesus Christ, you will be raised to condemnation. You'll be risen to be condemned. Now, I know that everyone here has felt condemned at one point in time. It's, it's just the way we are, isn't it? We know we've done wrong against someone else and we haven't, uh, and we, we feel people's eyes just bearing down at us because we know the guilt within. We know uh, what it feels like to be judged, don't we? We know what it feels like to be not worth, feel like we're not worth anything. And we don't live up to the standard. We know what that feels like, don't we? Here Jesus says, look, if you do not trust in me for your salvation, if you do not trust in me and know that I am the Son of God, then you will feel like that for eternity. Because unless you come for me, to me, you are not worthy of God. You will feel condemned. You will feel like you are worth nothing because without me. In the eyes of God, you are. But God actually does love you so much that he gave me, Jesus Christ. To restore the relationship. Because I don't want you to feel condemned. That's what he's saying. Picture the scene of all of these words that are coming from Jesus' mouth about who he is and what he's done and what he's going to do in front of uh, these religious leaders. You can imagine, can't you? Who do you think you are to say this? So he comes and in the court case he brings three witnesses. I told you it was going to take me a while, sorry. He brings these three witnesses to, into account. And the funny thing is, is the accusers now become the accused by the witness that Jesus makes to them. The, the religious leaders uh, and rulers of the Jewish nation, were, uh, they, are, they are coming and bearing, uh, trying to condemn Jesus for healing on the Sabbath and for claiming that he is the Son of God. And Jesus says, look, here are my witnesses. And they, do not, they will prove to you who I am, but they will, bring, they will condemn you as well. You see, he comes and he says, uh, look, you have sent, I cannot, I will, 31, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favour, and I know that his testimony is true. This comes from uh, Deuteronomy, and uh, Deuteronomy and chapter uh, 19. You see, when someone brings an accusation against uh, someone in the Jewish nation, they need... Uh, to have witnesses. 
And it says here in Deuteronomy, it sets out that one one witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offence they have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So Jesus says, look, I have three witnesses here for you. That I am who I say I am. And he says, look, you sent to John, that's John the Baptist, and he testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. Jesus doesn't need to have John's testimony about him because he knows who he is. He is in the love of the Father. He knows exactly who he is. But for us, that we, that he, sorry, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. You see, John was out, was there declaring, a voice in the wilderness declaring that Jesus was coming, the Messiah. He was the one who saw Jesus being baptized. And as he came out of the water, he heard and saw the voice of God. He saw a dove land on Jesus and he heard the voice of God saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. In my love and I am well pleased. And John testified and they went and heard John's testimony that Jesus is the Messiah. The one that was promised to come, that he is the son of God. And he says, you enjoyed that for a little while. And then he said, but I have a weightier testimony. I have a testimony weightier than that of John, verse 36, for the works that the Father has given me to finish. The works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. What are these works? Well, we just heard that he healed uh, the man, paralyzed man, and he he does many uh, miracles uh, that we read about in the Gospels. But the thing about these miracles, these works, are they are all about the restoration of the relationship between God and man. But they are all done by just Jesus speaking. What do I mean by that? Well, if we think about miracles that happen by, in, the, um, in Acts and uh, the, the rest of the New Testament by the apostles, any miracle that happens, they call on the name of Jesus to, rest, to, to make that miracle happen, don't they? When they when they uh, raise uh, when they well, when they heal uh, the uh, man who is uh, got is paralysed, you know the song that you know, Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He asked for alms and held out his palms. This is what Peter did say. You know the one. Silver and gold have I none, but just I have I know. in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. They have to declare the name of Jesus to gab the power to actually be able to do it. What does Jesus say? Does he call on anyone else's name? No, he says, get up and walk, take your mat. He has the power to give life. His works, his works are the testimony that he has, that he is the son of God, because he does not have to declare anyone else's name when he says, be healed and see. He doesn't use anyone else's name when he says, your sins are forgiven. Is just his authority. When he casts out the demons, they know who he is, don't they? They are you are Jesus, the son of Nazareth. Uh, you are Jesus of Nazareth, the son of the living God. And he says, "Be quiet, get out." And what do they do? They flee because he has power. His works are his witness. And then it says, the third witness, and the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. 
Now, you may hear a lot of people say to you, well, actually, the father's testimony here is because as he came out of the water of baptism, uh, he said, you are my son, whom I love and well pleased. Well, no one else but John heard that. So that isn't the testimony here. What the testimony is here is what he, Jesus spells out. It is that you have, not, you have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does the word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. What he's saying is, is you, don't, you don't see the Father because you don't see me. Because you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. And these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to have life. To me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if anyone else comes in his own name, you'll accept him. How can you believe, since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses on whom your hopes are set. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? You see, Jesus is saying, look, the Father has testified about me in the scriptures that you read. The very words of Moses that you are trying to condemn me with, talk about me. They come and they say that I am coming. And the reason why he says the, the, the very words uh, that Father is a testimony of, oh, I can't get my words out, can I? Um, the reason why he says the Father who sent me testifies concerning me is because they esteem the words, the very words of Moses as the words of God. Because Moses, he went up the mountain and he saw the glory of God. He dwelt, he was in his presence. And as he came down, he shone the glory of God among them. And as and, and, and he spoke with God. And he recorded what God said to him. And therefore, the scripture that they had were the very words of God. Yet they missed the fact that they testified about the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. They missed it. But... In Deuteronomy, the words of Moses, chapter 18, verse 15, he says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. The very words of God given to Moses, and they do not take notice of them. These three testimonies that, that Jesus uses to declare the truth about himself are so condemning of the people who are trying to accuse them. You see, he says, look, you don't see me because all you want to do is be glorified by each other. And you forget the glory that God has got in me. You miss the point. Brothers and sisters, I want to end on this. The time has come. The time is now. Let's put our trust in Jesus Christ. Because he is the true and living God. He is the true and living God. Let's not come and gather and read his scripture and miss 
the fact that it points to him. I think we can be very, uh, it is a very fine line. But we, gather, we say we gather around the word and we gather around the, uh, we gather around the word. But actually, this word only has power because of the one who said and spoke it into existence. This word, this Bible, the words in it only have power to save because Jesus Christ is the Son of God, equal with God in every way, able to give life. Without knowing that about him, these words are just, well, they don't really mean anything. Because this points to him. And the only way you will ever understand God and know God, the love that he has for you, the fact that he sent his son to die for you, is if you understand that this book is all about his redemption plan in Christ Jesus. The question is, are you putting the first thing first? Are you looking to Christ Jesus? Let me read Philippians chapter 2. For you, it says, Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. He gave him the name that is above every name, that, every, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. First things first. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we, we see him in the scripture as equal with you. And we know that he is. And we thank you that Jesus, that even though you were equal with God, you did not grasp it. But you laid it down so that we could come before you and know you. And that we